Christians call him notorious. Marxists hate him. You're listening to Peter List and Union Free Radio. Thanks for tuning in to LaborUnionReport.com's Union Free Radio, where we are shedding the light on today's unions. I'm your host, Peter List. Our numbers are 888-668-6466. That's 1-888-NO-UNION. Or you can reach out on Twitter, Workplace Report. That's Workplace RPT. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You know, Benjamin Franklin once said, half the truth is often a great lie. Welcome back to Union Free Radio. Today we're going to make some people mad on the left, and that includes union bosses, their apologists, and their cheerleading comrades in Washington. And what we're going to do today on Union Free Radio is expose the truth about one of union's biggest lies, or at least half-truths. That is that unions built the middle class. You've probably heard that one for yourself, right? The myth that unions built the middle class has been told and retold so many times that most people, even those who don't agree with today's unions on policy, have accepted it. And frankly, folks, it's pure propaganda. Unfortunately, a large percentage of Americans have bought that hook, line, and sinker. It's kind of like as Nietzsche once said, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. Well, today we're going to destroy some illusions. The bad part about blindly accepting a myth that unions built the middle class is it gives unions a free pass in order to push bad bills like the Poisonous Pro Act. Well, today's unions need to get fact-checked, and frankly, they need to get fact-checked constantly because they're so full of crap today. You know, a large part of the reason we're even talking about this today is because President Biden's speech a couple of weeks ago. If you happen to catch it, you might have noticed Biden's speechwriters pushed the unions built the middle class myth into his teleprompter. Let's roll Joe. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress. to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. Well, sorry, Biden speechwriters. Unions did not build the middle class, and anyone with some knowledge of history who wasn't taught by a unionized school teacher or slept through history class like I did, or even possesses an ounce of critical thinking would already know this. So if it wasn't unions that built the middle class, what did, right? As I answer this question, let me share a quick story with you that kind of got me into this topic. About seven or eight years ago, I was on the phone with a friend who was actually more of a business acquaintance, and I asked him how he was doing, and he said, I'm mad. And I asked why, and he told me that he had just done a radio interview, and the liberal talk show hosts repeated the same lie that everyone else repeats, that unions built the middle class. And he goes, I'm so sick of hearing that. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, unions did not build the middle class. I'm like, okay, keep going. He said, World War II built the middle class. And if you think about it, we had bombed the crap out of the rest of the world. We're the only ones left with the factories still standing to rebuild it. And that's when the light bulb went on for me. On the surface, what he was saying made a lot of sense. But if you're like me, you don't want to just take a person's word for it, even if they are a friend. So... 
Being the nerd that I am, I started researching it, and lo and behold, he was right. And I'm going to share that research with you today. World War II, not unions, built the middle class. So here's a headline for you. Back in 2014, big labor didn't build the middle class. Here's the quote. Unable to claim credit for actual products, union apologists will fall back on the assertion that they built the middle class. Ken Braun wrote this back in 2014. Referring to the United Auto Workers, Braun wrote, the war, est- uh, the war itself substantially blasted away the manufacturing spine of the rest of the globe, leaving American manufacturers, their workers, in a historically absurd position of super dominance. With or without the UAW, disproportionate prosperity was going to flow to American workers for decades afterwards as the rest of the world recovered from the rubble. Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. That, of course, was Franklin Roosevelt speaking to Congress the day after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941. Officially, that's what put us into World War II. Now, I'm not just going to tell you that unions didn't build the middle class and leave you hanging. Unlike unions and their propaganda, I'm going to give you the data to back it up. And by the way, you can get the links to all the information I'm sharing with you and even more uh, just by going to laborunionreport.com and clicking on this episode of Union Free Radio. You are listening to Union Free Radio. Now, before we go too deep into the wonky economic stuff, and for those who have not had a basic economics 101 class, let's define what the middle class is. According to Investopedia, Karl Marx was the first to coin the term middle class, referring to it as his bourgeoisie, or the petite bourgeoisie, or small business owners, as opposed to the working class, which he called the proletariat. But that's probably not what Biden means by middle class, right? So today, the term middle class has been so ingrained into our nomenclature that most people don't tie it or equate it with Marxism. Today, what Biden and most of us are likely referring to is the middle class, which is a large swath of Americans who are neither rich nor are they poor. The actual definition of middle class varies based on the source that whatever you want to look up. For example, according to Kimberly Amadeo, president of the World Money Watch, she, she cites the Brookings Institution, which defines the middle class as the middle 60% of households. In other words, everyone from 30% below the median income to 30% above it. Whereas former President Barack Obama said in 2012 that the middle class is comprised of families who make less than 250000 So it varies. However, from Biden's perspective and a lot of others, what he's probably referring to are the demographics of the middle class, which is those people that likely grew up during the Great Depression. They fought or worked during World War II and saw their lives improve substantially in the 1950s and 60s. And after the war, that period of prosperity lasted up until about 1972-73 when we had a, a big recession back then. 
after the war, instead of going to work in bullet and bomb making factories, that grouping of Americans went to work in factories building toasters and TVs and planes, trains, and automobiles. We had a great number of new inventions coming out, television, for example, color TV, watching Batman and Robin in the 60s. Anyway, so now that we've set the foundation of what we think Biden's probably referring to as the middle class, let's talk about some of the lead up to World War II. Now, as most people know, up until America entered the war, we had been in the throes of a worldwide decade-long depression. The depression started following the stock market crash in 1929, and it spread throughout the world in what they referred to as a contagion. And for those of us in the U.S., it didn't end until we entered the war. And also, most people should know that unemployment here in the Great Depression reached as high as 25%, not unlike what it reached last year with the pandemic. So during the Depression, Roosevelt, that's Franklin, not Teddy, and his administration tried to do everything to turn the, the economy around. They came up with what's called the New Deal, which was a whole host of legislation and actions that the administration took, including but not limited to getting Congress to pass the National Labor Relations Act, which was the Magna, Magna Carta that legitimized unions in the private sector for working people throughout the United States. So during that period of time, from 1930s, 40s, and so on, we saw the huge rise of unions in the United States. But from 1935, when the NLRA, or the National Labor Relations Act, was passed, until we entered the war, nothing seemed to be turning the economy around, even with the rise of the militant unions. So that begs the question, if the unions built the middle class, why wasn't it doing anything to help turn the economy around? There had to be more to it, right? Logic. Well, it's been argued that Roosevelt and Congress's actions actually prolonged the Depression. In fact, the Mackinac Center has a fantastic paper called The Great Myths of the Great Depression that you can find online. Um, you can get it from the links under this podcast on laborunionreport.com. The writer's explain how Roosevelt's policies actually led to the nation's first depression within a depression. And that was in the late 1930s. They write that after the Supreme Court struck down most of the New Deal's excesses in 1936, the economy had actually begun to improve. Unemployment had dropped to 18% in 1935, 14% in 1936, and even lower in 1937. But, they write, by 1938, it was back up to 20% as the economy slumped again. The stock market crashed nearly 50% between 1937 and 1938. Now, again, if unions built the middle class, why wasn't their sudden rise in the late 30s helping to turn things around? So, again, unions did not build the middle class. It was the war, or more precisely, it was its aftermath. Because bombings never happened here in the continental U.S., that left our factories and our infrastructure unscathed and gave us a leg up on the rest of the world. So according to the Library of Congress's uh, history source timeline, when World War, I, World War II ended, the United States was in better economic condition than any other country in the world. Even the 300,000 deaths suffered by Americans paled in comparison to any other major belligerent. End quote. Now, while 300,000 
combat deaths is a horrific, horrific number. Compare that to the roughly 75 million people around the world who died during the war. That included the 20 million military personnel and 40 million civilians. Thomas Vagno, an associate professor of economic history at Italy's Boccini University, writes, The majority of the military casualties were citizens of the Soviet Union, and that's around 20 million, I believe, China, Germany, and Japan, but the dead were mourned the world over. Tens of millions were displaced and haunted by the oppressions of war. While the physical factories of the nations remained relatively intact after the war, industrial production had been brought to a halt by the, halt, by the demolition of the transport infrastructure, in particular bridges and railway hubs. We did not have that happen here in the United States. Now, what did happen in the aftermath of the war is by 1945, the United States was manufacturing more than half of the produced goods in the world. U.S. exports made up more than one-third of the global total exports. And the United States held roughly two-thirds of the available gold reserves. So by investing in the reconstruction of countries devastated by World War II, the United States created new markets to export American goods Products like Coca-Cola became desired commodities abroad and helped promote the exportation of U.S. culture. Remember Elvis. The demand for American-made goods, along with the movement of people on U.S. commercial airlines like Pan Am or or with travelers staying in American-run hotels abroad like the Hilton chain, established the United States as a global economic leader. And that data is from the National World War II Museum down in New Orleans. Again, you can access this link on laborunionreport.com. Unions were along for the ride, but it was the war and the fact that the rest of the world was pretty much blown to rubble that led to the rise of the middle class. Now, although the U.S. had a much better head start than the rest of the world after World War II because we weren't dealing with the blown out bridges and roads and factories and railroads that were, you know, blown to smithereens by allied bombs. The rest of the world also had experienced a huge economic expansion. It's actually very myopic and distorted to think that the U.S. was the only good economy in the post-war world. Japan, France, England, West Germany, and even the Soviet Union had tremendous economic growth during that period. And following the war here in the U.S., it wasn't just the manufacturers or industrial sector that profited. Everyone did. Advertising agencies, even America's farmers were in on it. And this is according to livinghistoryfarm.com. When the war ended, the Marshall Plan continued the U.S. government's involvement in exports. All of this American food in the pipeline to foreign countries may have helped change the dietary habits of those countries. As the economies of Europe and Asia recovered, citizens there began eating more meat than they had before the war. The demand for meat, feed grains, and protein meals from oil seeds increased. In many lower-income nations, traditional foods like rice and potatoes lost popularity to bread made from imported wheats. American farmers profited. Now, the last time I checked, farmers were not unionized. Back to Vanyo, Reconstruction was a driving force behind the growth miracles of post-war Europe, including the other defeated powers, Austria and Italy, as well as Greece and Spain, both ravaged by civil war. 
You know, History.com's got a great article, and it's called The Post-World War II Boom, How America Got Into Gear. And in that article, its author, Sarah Pruitt, writes, At the peak of its war effort in late 1943 and 1944, the United States was manufacturing almost as many munitions as all of its allies and enemies combined. Unemployment, which had reached 25% during the Great Depression and hovered at 14.6% in 1939, had dropped to 1.2% by 1944, still a record low in the nation's history. And here's where it gets interesting. If you look at the numbers, unions have never represented a majority of American workers. In fact, the highest peak they ever reached was in 1945, and that was at 35.5%. After World War II, the amount of density or the union density here in the United States began to decrease. And as of today, it's about 6.3% in the private sector and about 10.8% overall, which includes government workers. So it's important to realize that, and as Ms. Pruitt basically summarized, it was the consumerism after World War II that essentially built the middle class. And she writes in her book, A Consumer's Republic, The Politics of Mass Consumption in Post-War America, Elizabeth Cohen reported that by 1945, Americans were saving an average of 27, I'm sorry, 21% of their personal disposable income compared to just 3% in the 1920s. With the, with the war finally over, American consumers were eager to spend their money on everything from big-ticket items like homes, cars, and furniture to appliances, clothing, shoes, and everything else in between. U.S. factories answered their call, beginning with the automobile industry. New car sales quadrupled between 1945 and 1955, and by the end of the 1950s, some 75% of American household owned, households owned at least one car. By 1965, the nation's automobile industry reached its peak, producing 11.1 million new cars. Trucks and buses accounted for nearly one out of six, every six American jobs. Gross national product, which measured all goods and services produced, skyrocketed to $300 billion by 1950, compared to $200 billion in 1940. By 1960, it had topped $500 billion, firmly establishing the United States as the richest and most powerful nation in the world. Once again, unions did not build the middle class. World War II did. Now, if you're of the opinion, even after the evidence, that somehow unions built the middle class, let's just cover this. Sure, unions were along for the ride, just like a hitchhiker is, but they were not the driving factor that built the middle class. American consumerism was, and the rest of the world rebuilding after a devastating world war. However, if you're going to accept that, or if you're going to state that unions built the middle class, you also have to accept the counter to that is their success also led to their demise. In other words, the more powerful that unions got... If they were the drivers of the middle class, they were also the destroyers of it. For example, in 1959, when the Great Steel Strike occurred and we had 500,000 steelworkers out on strike nationwide, that led to the importation of foreign steel. 
Then we had the 1970s and the gas crunch, and the UAW and the Big Three didn't adapt fast enough, so we had the importation of foreign vehicles. That has caused many of the unions to fall apart. And then, of course, they elected Jimmy Carter, which is going to be another episode here on Union Free Radio, who did more to destroy unions than probably any other event or thing that could have happened in history. So given all the data out there, I think it's pretty evident that unions did not build the middle class. And we could go on for a lot longer and give you a lot more data. Most of it is linked in the laborunionreport.com under this episode on Union Free Radio. But we're going to wrap it up for today and wish you well. If you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, it's Workplace Report, Workplace RPT, or 888-NO-UNION. Thanks for listening. You are listening to Union Free Radio.